0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. Our friend Chris Berglund is going to come up and share the word this morning, so come on up, Chris. It's good to be back again. (laughs) I've been out of town for a while. Um, Just going to kind of, you know, one of the things uh, scripture says is the kingdom of God is like scattering seeds. And I think this morning I'm just going to scatter some seeds and we'll see which ones land. And sometimes some (laughs) seeds land in one place and somebody else doesn't hear that one or get that one or it's not for that one, but they have another seed that's planted, and and, uh, that's really what our job as Christians is, is to plant seeds. It's not to get people to go to heaven, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to become love and love others, and uh, love is something that never fails, and so our success is not based on how many people we can say are going to heaven because we've prayed with them. Our success is because we've become in the image of the, the one who created us. In uh, Genesis, it says uh, that Adam and Eve were made in in the image of God, and then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And being fruitful and multiplying wasn't just about having children. What he was saying was, multiply the image that I created you in. That was his intent and purpose on the earth, was to give us his image, and then we would reproduce that image wherever we go, in our children, but in the nations of the earth. That's why Moses... When he was cycling in the wilderness, you know, with the children of Israel just murmuring and complaining, uh, God says to Moses, Moses, as surely as I live, that my glory shall cover the nations of the earth. As surely as I live. He wasn't talking about a future revival or a mysterious revival coming forth. He was talking about what he saw from creation was that he would have a people that were in his image, and the glory of Christ in us is what God was saying to Moses. My glory will fill the nations. There'll be a generation that actually come into the fullness of Christ. My, as surely as I live Moses in the midst of uh, all of these people that didn't understand their destiny their purpose what, they're, what they were called for he was saying what I created man for they will live in and, and I believe it's a, a, gener, a whole generation of people not that it will be everybody but there's an invitation and there'll be a, cl- a, a clarity of sound you know in Romans 8 it says who he predestined he called who he called he justified who he justified he glorified it's past tense He's already glorified us. He's put us on the same plane as God because he's given us the same spirit that his son had, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, and he's already glorified us. And our, as we walk in the spirit, we're the glory of God on the earth. When he's not, sometimes we pray, God, would you come and reveal yourself? And what he's doing is he's revealing himself through us. John 17. Uh, you know, at the end of John... 13, it talks about uh, Peter's going to deny Christ, and, and, and uh, Jesus says to him, You know, basically, d- don't worry, Peter, because you're, go- you're going to strengthen the brothers afterwards. I'm going to help you do that. And then, chapter 14, maybe just read a few verses of John 14. It's an interesting beginning of the chapter. It says, let not your heart, Oh, let's just, let's finish with uh, 1338, since there's no chapter breaks in the Greek, it's just a letter. He says, Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Peter says, most assuredly I say, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter had said in uh, verse 37, Lord, I'll follow you, I'll lay my life down. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. It's interesting. He starts talking about uh, going someplace to prepare. The Father's preparing a mansion for us. We've always looked at that as heavenly mansions. You know, I can't wait until we get that heavenly mansion. I don't think that was what he was talking about at all because later in the chapter, he he says, I've got to, you know, Mary's trying to cling to him. He says, don't cling to me, Mary. I've got places to go first. He had, pl- he had to go up, become our mediator between God and man, sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat. Why did he do that? He did that to make us his dwelling place. He made us fit for him to come back in. So we are the mansions of Christ that he's talking about. I've got many mansions. And uh, we're the, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6, Hebrews 3, all talk about us being that house, whose house we are. We're the very tabernacle of God himself. You know, we don't step out our door. We, he could have done this. He could have made this incredible, you know, he could have made a mansion to the, to the moon, right, if he wanted to. And we could have said, that's where, God, that's where God lives. Isn't that amazing? He looks at us and said, Aren't you amazing? I've chosen you out of every place I could live, he chose us to live in. We get to manifest his life and his nature. So when he's talking about a mansion, you know, in, in uh, Revelations 22, it says there'll be a, a river that flows from the temple, of uh, the threshold of the temple, right? And it will have leaves that bring healing to the nations. And then in Psalm 1, what does it say? It says, uh, he, he who... Now, however it goes, he who doesn't sit in the seat of the council of the wicked in the scoffer's seat, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water whose leaf does not wither. It's the same leaf in Revelations 22. The tree is us. The, the tree in Revelations 22, who's bringing healing to the nations, it's Christ in us. The river, is, it's the John 7 river, it's flowing out of us. Rivers of living water, he said, it's the river of life. Wherever we go, the river of life, we're waiting. You know, sometimes we're told in intercession to picture this heavenly uh, sea and river and healing to nations. And God is saying, picture it in you because I've made you that tree. I've made you that. Uh, He's the river in us, but he's made us the temple to carry his presence. It's the most amazing thing. We're his mansions on the earth, but it all comes down to perspective. If we don't see something in scripture, we'll never be able to walk it out in reality. And so he's calling it. That's why faith is so critical in Scripture. Everything is about faith. Um, Let me just share. I wanted to share a testimony before I forget. Some of you like Enoch. Y'all like Enoch. Some of you like uh, Rick Joyner. And uh, if you you don't, just repent. (laughs) You know, the, the fact of the matter is we've got brothers in all different camps. We don't have to agree with all their theology, but we have to love them, and they're part of our family. We're the family together, and Rick's an awesome man. And it, again, you don't have to agree with everything, but he had an encounter with with a neat encounter. I think you'll like this. Um, and I don't know. I think we mentioned this last time, but when you hear of somebody having an encounter with a cloud of witnesses, you, it is scriptural. I'm not saying it, it. I'm not saying people aren't making it up sometimes, because sometimes the insecurity level's great and they're wanting to be a part of something. But sometimes the the, the cloud of witnesses so active with us, the angelic realm. It's it's all perspective and it's. It's uh, rising up into his reality. Sometimes we bring God into our reality and it's filled with unbelief and doubt and it's what we see. And he's bringing us up into, into heavenly reality where our eyes are open to really what's taking place in the spirit realm. And Rick was visiting with Elijah, having an encounter. This was recently. And he asked Elijah, why was Enoch so filled with joy and you not so much? That <laughs> was his question. And Elijah's response was, Enoch received the full invitation of love on the earth and walked in it, and I didn't. I had the same invitation. He said to Rick, you have the same invitation. He said, we both walked in perilous times. Enoch was in a perilous time, Elijah, and so are we. We're, we're, we're in generations of some of the most perilous times on the earth. We don't always feel like it uh, here in in uh, the United States, but if you were in the Middle East, you would, you would know that you were in an incredible time. Um, And he said, that was my invitation, and it's your invitation to become love. And uh, it was interesting, uh, I don't know, maybe you heard this testimony a couple months ago. Rick was, uh, these are just fresh. I usually share different testimonies just because I like to kind of open us up to a realm that maybe we don't always hear about, and and some of you do, but some of us, we just need to kind of, Wow, there's things available to us as sons. And Rick was, uh, the Lord said to Rick, would you go on a motorcycle ride with me 800 miles or something? And Rick said to the Lord, uh, did I share this? Okay, I can't remember, I don't think I did. But he, the Rick said to the Lord, I've only ever gone 300 miles and I've got bad knees and my butt would get sore because I don't want to do that. <laughs> And uh, so he started thinking like that, and and, uh, and he said, "Lord, but you're in, you're inviting me, I'm gonna go." So he got on his uh, Harley or whatever he has. He goes from Charlotte down to Florida someplace, and on the way, the Lord heals his knees, and he's having this incredible communion. He said there was rain pouring and thunders, but he said it was just the most awesome trip, just filled with the glory. And uh, they were talking, uh, they were talking together, the Lord and Rick. And the Lord said to Rick, "Ask me anything you want to." You know how sometimes we have this list of theological questions, we, and we always forget them anyway, but what came out of his mouth was, he said, Lord, do you like sports? You know, kind of a, you'd think a dumb question, but actually kind of profound, because what happens in the response was, the Lord says to Rick, Rick, I like to do everything you do when you invite me to do what you do, and it was like, and then he said, I've got a thousand people ready, ready to write me a book, but I have very few friends. And then Rick realized for 30 years he had been a servant and not a friend. That's pretty, he said, Lord, I will do anything for you. I will, you know, take the nations for you. I'll do, do, do. It was that servant mentality of I'm going to do something great for you. And the Lord is saying, I just want somebody that will be my friend and spend time with me. Minister to my heart. You know, see through my eyes. Feel through my heart. And, and uh, that's, that's what Enoch was. That's why I think this Enoch keeps coming up a lot in our hour, because Enoch walked with God in a friendship that was so unusual. He had a revelation, apart from, uh, in an old covenant period of time, Old Testament period of time, he had a revelation of walking so intimately that he actually had a transformation. He actually got saved in the Old Testament. If you could see something in the Old Covenant, you could actually walk in it. That's why David could walk in and bring the whole people before the Lord. They should have all been killed because it was only for the high priest once a year. David brings the whole congregation because he saw something. If we see it, and this is a perspective issue, if we can see it, we can walk in it. If we don't see it, we'll never walk in it. That's why the Lord Lord said, if your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, he says, how great is the darkness. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about your twisted perspective. How great your mindset is your twisted mindset will be. Uh, when, when Jesus, w- in John 11, uh, with Lazarus, when Lazarus dies, uh, Thomas says, you know, let's, let's, run, let's go with the Lord, and let's run and let's die with him, right? That's, his, that's how the, the chapter starts. Then you get Mary and Martha who are hurt because Jesus didn't come earlier. And then you get the Jews, and these are d- three different things that says in the chapter, the Jews are puzzled why the one isn't healing Lazarus. And then it says, Jesus groaned in his spirit. He prayed, he wept, and he groaned. Do you know what the groaned means in the Greek? It means indignant. He was angry. He wasn't angry at Martha and the Jews. He wasn't angry at at Thomas. He was angry at the mindsets, the lies and the mindsets that the enemy had given to the the people. He's been speaking about resurrection and life, and all they can talk about is dying with him. And and they said and he says if you'd only been here, he would have been healed. And Jesus groaned in his spirit twice, it says in that chapter. He he was groaning because they weren't getting the perspective that they needed to walk in this life. It's, uh, you know, there's a great chapter in Matthew uh, 17. I think it's Mark and I in the same reference. But it talks about an epileptic, epileptic boy the father brings to the disciples. And he says the disciples couldn't heal him. And so he brings them to Jesus and he says Jesus you, and Jesus says oh you perverse and faithless generation the word uh, perverse means twisted they had a twi- I don't think he was angry at his disciples as much as he was angry at their twisted perspective their paradigm in life they couldn't heal the boy because they had a p- twisted mindset they weren't seeing clearly they didn't see the cross clearly so Jesus said to them so Jesus says, bring the boy to me, and he casts out the spirit, and from that day forward, this, this little boy's healed. And then it says, secretly, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, why couldn't we heal the boy? They didn't say, why was the boy sick? Why, why couldn't the boy get healed? They said, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, this kind comes not out but by prayer and fasting. Why does he say that? Because he, he's not talking about the spirit coming out. He's talking about their unbelief coming out. He said, this kind of unbelief doesn't come up by prayer and fasting. Why is that? Because fasting makes us sensitive to the spiritual realm. It gives us a clear sight. We, we push down the, the carnal uh, uh, behavior and and, and and thoughts. We push it down. And during that time, we get a full revelation of the purpose of the cross. In fasting... The, the fullness of the cross comes into perspective. It's not our fasting doesn't do anything for God. It does everything for us. It changes perspective. It's the way that unbelief leaves us. And then, and then prayer is stewarding the activity of the cross, right? So you've got the dream team of prayer and fasting. Sometimes we've thought that fasting gets God to move. Fasting never gets God to move. It gets your heart to change. It gets your mind to see clearly. And that's why he said, this kind comes not up but by prayer and fasting. He already said, you have a twist. You have a, you, you're a perverse generation. Your mindset is twisted. You've got to get rid of that unbelief. It wasn't like, oh, you know, he, he already had told them, you can cast out demons in my name. And now he's not saying, oh, but there's going to be some really tough ones that you're not going to be able to get. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that if you simply knew who you were, you rise to a higher plane by, seeing, uh, by not indulging in the, the tastes and the sight of the flesh and seeing who you really are in Christ. When we have that perspective, we start coming in heavenly uh, realities, and then to cast out the, the demon is no problem. We have the authority, Christ in us. We're the dwelling place of God. Why is it hard? Is it hard for God to do anything? There's, you know, a friend of ours had a, a, a vision of a, a. I think I shared this with the, uh, months ago, but I like this because it, it it gives something real, real clear definition to who we are. He sees in the spirit realm a clash between a principality and an angel, right? And their their swords are drawn, but they're like in a stalemate. Elijah shows up and pulls his sword out of his sheath and that principality takes off in fear. Why is that? Because Elijah is the body of, he's the body of Christ. He's the embodiment of Christ, just as you and I are. When we come on the scene, there's no principality or power that's greater than we are because it's Christ in us. But we don't, we don't have that perspective and so we think, you know, we think it's a light and darkness issue, it's not a light and darkness issue. The reason the city is dark is because we as the light haven't risen up and revealed Christ. We're the light of the world. He is, but he told us we are because we're the embodiment of Christ. He's the one that called us the body of Christ. We didn't make that up. He said, you are my embodiment on the earth. We, we always pray, God, would you come in revival and come down and, and open up a city? And he's saying to us, become the light of the city and you'll drive out darkness It's not a darkness issue It's a light issue And the light is Christ in us It's an amazing perspective It changes who we are and it changes responsibility You know If The, the grace message is Being taught all over the earth right now And it's either being embraced or, or shut down I think And I think there's reasons for both I think one of the reasons is That some that are teaching it Not here <laughs> Lloyd's doing an awesome job here and Brenda do an awesome job here, but there's some that are teaching it that uh, it, it's making grace sound like we're just we're all good, we're fine, and that's the that's what we just now we just fellowship together in a circle and we sing kumbaya, you know, we whatever that means <laughs> uh, by the campfire. But see, uh, grace without transfiguration is not true grace because grace is about empowerment, empowerment to become what God called us, Adam, to become in the beginning. Adam, I've created you in my image to manifest my life to the nations. So grace is about transfiguration. It's about us coming into full sonship. That's why Matthew, I mean, Romans 8 says, God wants to, uh, creation is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's groaning for us to become mature in mindset so we know who we are. It's it's really important that we don't walk in sin and those things. Not that not that Jesus is going to push us into hell because of those things, but we're not going to come into full maturity, and we're not going to come into the glory of Christ in us. What happens is sometimes, you, you know, in the past we've heard preachers say, and, I, and there's, there's so much truth in this, they'll say, if you haven't resp- uh, responded to the last word the Lord gave you, don't expect him to give you another word. And here's what they're saying. Here's, here's what makes sense in that. When God gives us something so valuable as his, his clarity and direction to us, he's waiting for us to respond. He's not mad at us if we don't. He's not holding his arms like maybe an earthly father might and say, you worthless son, obey me. He's not doing that at all. He doesn't have the privilege of manifesting his love to that person until they respond because it's not raising up mature sons. The son is to honor the father. And sometimes we'll go into the place of prayer. And it will seem like the you know, heavens are brass. And we're not getting anywhere. And it's not that the Lord's angry with us. But he's already spoken to us. Make things right with your brother. And then come to pray. And we, we don't. We say, no, he knows my heart. And we use that excuse as, you know, God's told me many things to do. But he knows my heart. And I'll be fine. God's not like that. He, he's, not, he's not privileged to manifest his incredible... He's not going to smother you with love at the altar when he's waiting for you to mature as a son. He's not angry. He's just not privileged to manifest who he is to you until there's a, there's a response. In the Old Testament, it says, fear not the rod, right, with your, your children. The reason is because the rod... The correlation is the rod brings pain and what parents are being uh, told to discipline their children, is show your children that their actions are going to bring pain to their life. We have, a, we've, we have a generation, and I said this last time, I don't think we're, any of us are fit to have be parents at 20 or 25, which we were, you know. Because we, you know, we, as we grow up, we start realizing, oh man, I would have been so much more loving to my children. I but we discipline in anger or frustration or whatever we do. And the Lord is our... The, the Lord is wanting us to be love to our children. And I think there's wisdom sometimes when we're angry and we're just about to, to, to discipline our kids. Rather than having them take a time out, I think it's good for us to take a time out. You know, and we say, Lord, this is not about me. The reason we're angry is because it's about me. It's about my life. But we're to be a representation of Christ to the children. And so at the age of accountability... They're looking and they're saying, I don't know why I'm so angry, but you don't respond in anger, mommy and daddy. What do you have? And that's when we become their door and access to Christ. That's the same as John 17, when the generation sees our loved one for another, then we become the door that they come to, they come to Christ. Who, Who in their right mind would want to come to Christ if they seen us angry and full of bitterness outside that you know in the community like why would i want what you have you'd have nothing different you're you're this you you have the same fears and doubts and and anger that i have because we haven't had the right perspective of who we are we haven't sat in his presence so how do how are we transfigured we're transfigured by communion and truth you know when we read scripture we don't come to scripture to get a teaching we run, we come to scripture for relationship and friendship. We come to know Christ. Too many, too many teachers on, on television, they come to this word, and they come to it just to simply get a teaching for the next Sunday. And, that's, and it, all it does is feed the head, but there's no impartation to the heart, so there's not a transformation of the congregation. It's just head knowledge. And then you got great debaters, but you got no life lived, no Christ's Christ life lived. This, this Christianity is about a life lived. It's not about coming to church on Sunday. If we teach our children, it's about coming to church on Sunday, and I'm not we, we're supposed to you know assemble together. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is we can fight on the way to church because of who took so long in the bathroom, and then we can fight on the way home from church about where we're going to eat. And our kids are sitting in the back seat and thinking, "Is this what Christianity is? It's it's about going to church, it's about religion. We're we're teaching them religion rather than no, it's about a life lived. When they they see us living the life of Christ, then they come to us and say, "Man." I don't have what you have. That's how, that's how the unbelievers come. They say, I don't, I don't have the peace that you have in the storm. Why do you have it? And then we get to share because we're the very temple of Christ. We're the very manif- manifestation of his uh, image on the earth. It's an awesome uh, responsibility and glory. When, A- when Adam was created in the garden, here's another perspective that will help set mindsets free. Well, let me go back to this. It's about communion. Uh, and truth, you know, uh, what does John say? It says, "If you uh, s- if you stay in the Word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Uh, something like that. If you meditate on the Word, there's a there's the there's nothing that will set us free besides truth. So discipline doesn't set you free. It's truth. It's perspective. And so we have to know what the truth is. And when we know what the truth is, then we can live above circumstances. We can come into e- heavenly realities. Let's, let me use this for an example. I, I, I love this example because the Lord is really wanting us to be a people who manifest His nature. You know who He was on the earth? He was a healing God. He always talked about healing. And we need to, we need to ask ourselves, why aren't we seeing more healing? And why are we, the first thing we do when somebody gets hurt is we call 911, or we say, what, what can we do to help, rather than we, we pray. The reason is, is because we don't have faith instantly that God's going to do something. Our mindset hasn't been transformed to the image of Christ. And so, I think, in Scripture, you know, there's a couple places that talk about healing. If you know, in, in Timothy, it says, Paul left Trophimus in Miletus. Do you know, this, do you know the passage? He left him sick there. And uh, so what the theologians have done, they say, see, it's not always God's will to heal, right? Paul left somebody sick. Well, and, and then it says, he told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. And then Paul's thorn in the flesh. And you get some, you get three or four things that people use to say, see, it's not always God's will to heal. You know what Philippians says? It says that Paul labored to know Christ more, that he he prayed that he would know Christ in his resurrection more. How does it go? That I may know fellowship of suffering why was I thought Paul knew the Lord why is he praying to know the Lord more I think because he left Trophimus sick in Miletus and he's saying I need to know the resurrection more Paul's not Jesus Paul's Paul he's like us and he left somebody sick like we do and he's going to pray and he's saying God I got to know you more because this isn't the way it should be on the earth we just, you know, we, we saw a friend of ours die a month ago, and it was a 22-year-old young man. And it wasn't the Lord's heart that he died. It was a powerful life lived on the earth. I, amazing testimony of a 22-year-old that became love in an amazing way. But that, I'm I'm not encouraged because I know God's heart. Nobody came to the Lord and was not healed. Here's another one. He's going to the the five porches and he heals a guy that's been sick for 38 years right and the, and he says to this guy would you like what would you like would you like to be healed and that's kind of a silly question the guy's been sitting there for 38 years waiting for the water to be stirred so he can jump in the water was stirred once a year by an angel well the, this was prior cross Jesus is the stirring of the waters after the cross he's always stirring the waters he is the he is the river of of, of life and he is the healing power but at that time, can you imagine a guy for 38 years waiting to be healed, and nobody's helping him in? They're jumping over him to jump in the stirred waters. It was a loveless generation. They were in, and Jesus, Jesus said, uh, would you like to be healed? And Jesus heals him, and then he's on his way out. Uh, he doesn't even know Jesus' name, and they're saying, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? There was no... And, and, you're, and you know, when I went to school they're saying well see he didn't heal everyone at the porches but you know what nobody at the porches came to him saying son of David have mercy on me there's just one man he went after so we've got to we've got to have a different view of Christ he would have healed anyone that came to him he did so much so that it says there would have been he would have filled the books of the earth I think what he's saying is every book written at that day he had more testimonies of the healing and the power that have gone forth from his life why is this important to us? Because our, our paradigm, has to, we, 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 if you can't see it in the life of Christ, you can't have a theology for it. If we can't see something in the life of Christ, we better change our theology. Jesus was a healing person, <laughs> God. It, and we've got to line up with him. We can't make excuses based on a 22-year-old I prayed for for several weeks going down to the hospital and he dies. And now my theology comes out of my experience. No, my theology doesn't come out of my experience. My theology comes out of truth. And so if my truth isn't lining up with experience, we gotta say, Lord, that's where the communion aspect of of coming to scripture is. We come to scripture and you say, Lord, I don't understand this. Like Paul did, I don't understand this. I need to understand you more, Lord. This is communion. This is not just reading for information. It's coming into Scripture and so saying, I need revelation. I need ISAV, Lord, because I don't understand. Why, why did my mom die at 69? It doesn't make sense to me. There's got to be a reason, because I know that you always heal. You're a healing God. So our, our perspective is key in healing. It's key in, in transfiguration. If we Like Lloyd, every week, he's having a, a, a proclamation of, of who we are in Christ in different ways. If, if we don't line up our perspective with truth, we won't become the light that a dark world needs. We'll see ourselves differently than Christ sees us. And uh, we, we talked about this. He doesn't come to expose sin. He comes to expose value because when he exposes your value, then you walk without sin. The invitation is to walk free from sin. But if you don't believe you can, you'll never will. If you believe you can, you may stumble and stumble and stumble, but you're on, your, you're on the journey. You know, and this is about a, this isn't about how far we have to go. This is about we're on the right path now. Don't get discouraged and say, I wish I would have known this stuff when I was 20, which I have done. I was like, why don't you show me these things rather than 55? Why didn't I know this at 20? I could have had all these years. And the Lord says, don't look, don't look back at what you wish you had. Be grateful that you're on the path now. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's your perspective. It's much different than mine. Mine is so competitive in nature, you know when we start looking according to the flesh and the Lord's bringing us up and he's changing our perspective so we can see that we are the light of the world to a dark generation it's an amazing opportunity we are the healing life of Christ to those that are sick it's not a good time to jump into the healing battle in a time of crisis because <laughs> you you haven't established your your faith and your perspective yet that's why we that's why don't wait until you're sick to start believing in healing. We start believing in healing now, so when the crisis comes, we're no different. We're like, no, it, we, we know exactly God's will. We don't have to find it. Because of, Jesus says the only reason people weren't getting healed was because of their doubt and their unbelief. That's pretty amazing. That's mindset. There's something we're not seeing clearly. And, and uh, it's the same, and I use healing, but you could use transfiguration, the glory of Christ in us. Do you believe that you're the very light to a dark generation? Do you believe that Christ will manifest his life? Wherever? I remember months ago, Lloyd said, uh, when we go to Walmart, we're Christ in that place. But it doesn't happen because we walk in there. It happens because we know who we are in Christ. The truth comes, it sets us free to become who we really are. And then we walk in in the reality of it. It's not, it's not a head knowledge. It's a revelation, and it's a knowing where, our, where the enemy has no place in our life. It's an awesome. That's, that's why Smith Wigglesworth, when you read his testimony, and the devil shows up at the foot of his bed, and he, he says, oh, it's just you, and goes back to sleep. He didn't have to get up and fight because he knew who he was. He just said, um, it's just you, just the devil. I know who I am. We get up and we start speaking in tongues, and you know, it's it's not the in James it says it's it's not the anointing with oil that heals the sick. It's not the prayers that heal the sick. It says it's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. Isn't that interesting? It tells us to anoint. It tells us to lay hands on. Tells us to anoint with oils. But those are just touch points. But it says, but the prayer of faith. It's an issue of faith. You don't even have, you can be laying hands on the sick, you don't have to pray. You just have faith and they'll be healed. I just talked to a guy that was a mailman in uh, 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 Pasadena, uh, Glendale, California. We're talking after a service. He got, came up to me and says, I'm so excited. He goes, I pray for everybody that's sick on my route every day. He goes, and sometimes I don't even pray. I just, I say, can I put my hand on them? And he goes, I just release faith and they're healed. And I'm just so thrilled with this. I, I, I love that because that's the body of Christ becoming the embodiment of Christ. He knows who he is, and he, he's not fighting for healing. He just knows it's part of our inheritance in the cross. Uh, it, it, it's, it's like marriage as well. You know, when God created Adam and, and Eve in the garden, he didn't create Eve because Adam was lonely. He created Eve because Adam was full. Adam was the fullness of uh, Adam was the fullness of God on the earth, and out of the fullness of God on the earth, he he come, he brings forth the fullness of God in woman. See what the reason he created woman was not because Adam was lonely. He created the the woman because he wanted to share the glory and replenish the earth with his glory, and there was no way Adam could do that alone. That's why if you're a single and you're not married and you choose not to be married, you're still the fullness of God on the earth. You, you're not, you're not going to live a life, you don't have to live a life of loneliness, you can live a life full of God, because that's how he created us. Because he said we we're complete in him. We're, we're totally complete in him. But in marriage, you get to have the synergy of two becoming one, and so it's a one plus one becomes a greater one, not two. It's just, it's manifesting his life and glory in that, arena but it's his perspective isn't it we start seeing things because someone told us in a teaching that well he created women because or, or god created man because he was lonely or whatever silly thing we hear god created men because he was so full that he wanted to reproduce that fullness and have others participate in what he was participating in because that's what love does uh Where should we go? <laughs> I had one other thought I wanted to share. Lord. Do you mind if we just wait for a second? Wait for a minute. Well, I'm going to end and share one testimony. And I want to I want to share this because it's unusual for me to have a dream like this. But I had a dream a week or so ago. And in the dream, I was looking at Herod, the Herod, the one that was eaten by worms. But I wasn't looking at his flesh. I was looking into a spirit man. And it was dark through and through. And the scene changes, and now I'm looking at the guy in... Elimus, whatever his name is, in in uh, Acts thirteen, it's the guy that Paul points to and says, "You son of the devil," there's you know there's uh, not, uh, you're, you're always perverting the ways of the Lord. And then he says, "You'll be he strikes him blind for a season, right?" And so I'm looking at these two men, and I'm looking at not at their flesh, but I'm looking into their spirit, man. And in, in this guy in Acts thirteen, that Paul says, "You son of the devil," uh, you're always perverting the ways of the Lord. His spirit is dark, but there's there's openings in his spirit man. And as I'm looking at this, this is, I just know. I just know that I know Herod had no openings in his spirit man. He had an invitation to come to Christ, but he never was going to. I knew in that dream encounter that Je- Jesus knew the beginning from the end, and he judged him because he knew he was never going to repent. Isn't that interesting? I'm we we can't be a, a grace people and just take what we want from the new covenant. We have to understand why why was there some judgments in the New Testament? I I know a guy that took the ananias and sapphira and he said Peter made a mistake. I think it's silly. We we, we have to we have to read scripture with a pure heart. The pure in heart shall see God. Meaning the mindset can't be uh, you can't contain your own. Understanding and then find scripture to back you up. You go there with the lens of the cross, but you have to let the Lord show us what it means. I think what the Lord was showing me was, because I was really questioning judgment because of the full working of the cross. I said, Lord, I need to understand this. This is important to me because I've got friends on both sides of the camp. And, uh, and I, I know for me, when I was trying to share those things, it just—it was like I, no anointing. The Spirit would just feel like, he, Chris, why are you even sharing on stuff you would have no revelation on? That's what it felt like. And uh, I did it once in a meeting in California, and I had such a great meeting for like two hours. It was, a, it was a 15, 20 kids, tw- 25-year-old kids, and the Lord was really with us. And then the last 30 minutes, I shared on judgment, and it was like just cold and dry. And I was like, what did I just do? I just wrecked the meeting because I didn't know what I was talking about. And uh, I tried to share revelation from a friend of mine, and it didn't go over well. Uh, but uh, Lord, I think this is what the Lord wants to help us with—that He, you know, there's a guy in Minneapolis that's written some books, <laughs> probably some good books. But one of the things he teaches is that God, God has chosen not to know the future because He wants to enjoy it all along the way with us. And I'm thinking, well, that's taking God from his reality into our reality and making us, him like us, thinking, well, that's what we would do. I'm thinking, no, he doesn't, he doesn't really need to do that. He can be the fullness of, anyways. Um, Herod, Herod knows, Jesus knows Herod is never going to repent. It's kind of an act of mercy from all the people that he's tormenting. I mean, if God knows, this guy is never going to repent. He knows the beginning from the end. He's given an invitation. It's not that he, he predestined him for hell. He didn't. He, he said, I would that everyone would be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. But not everybody will. And so Herod is judged. This other guy in, first, in uh, Acts 13, he's blinded for a season. I think he's with the Lord. I think he's going to be with us. Because I think that was the same kind of thing that... Jesus did to uh, Saul, Paul on the road to Damascus. He blinds him. Mindset change. Can you imagine this guy that's that's persecuting everybody, and all of a sudden he's blinded, and he's got time to really think now. I am blind. I've been blind my whole life. You know, I love the story about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. I skipped over this part, but I just struck. It strikes me now in that in that story of the rich young ruler. He comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And, and um, it says, Jesus looked at the man and loved him. I just said, gosh, I missed that little phrase. He looked at the man and loved him. And I'm thinking, love never fails. That guy is definitely with the Lord. Love cannot fail. And then he says, well, you know, he pushes him into the law, so he comes to an end of himself and comes back to Christ. He said, you know, obviously you don't get saved by selling all you have and giving to the poor. But Jesus was pushing him into into the law greater so he'd come to an end of himself so he could have a revelation. The law is a tutor to bring him back to Christ. I believe, I believe that Rich Young really, without a doubt in my mind, because love never fails, is with the Lord. I believe this guy in, in Acts 13 is with the Lord. He's blinded because there was pockets of light in his spirit. There was pockets of openings in his spirit for light to come into. He hadn't chosen, like Herod had, never to, never to repent, however you, however you understand that. And then at the end, the, Lord's, the, the voice came to me in the dream. It said, go for the gold. And I just knew what he was saying was, there's choices people make. There's full, full darkness. There's mostly darkness. And as by fire, they'll be saved. But he said, there is a generation that's perspective will be, like Bob Jones used to say, your senses will be golden. You, everything will be golden because we've chosen perspective and mindset. We've chosen to say yes to Christ's truth. And he transfigures us into his very love and life and light, and it's awesome. And that's our invitation, is not to simply under, understand the grace message and be loved, but the glory and exaltation of the, Christ, of the cross is that we become love. Not that we're loved, but that we become love. It's all about, it's all about fellowshipping one, one with another, being provoked in Christ, and then bringing this love to dark places. The city should change if this congregation of whatever number it is, it doesn't even matter. It only has to be two or three. Do you know in the Greek, when Jesus was saying to Peter, upon, the, uh, upon this rock I'll build my church? That word is not church. It's ecclesia. The, the translators didn't know how to translate it. It's, there's, church is only used three times, I think, in the New Testament. Each time it simply means a gathering place, kind of a fellowship. Ecclesia means the ruling council of God upon the revelation of Christ you will become the ekklesia of God the ruling council you'll rule in my affairs on the earth and it's that word church is used all the way through the new, 100 times when we see hebrews 12 in, in different places we are the ekklesia of God we we are the ruling council of God on the earth when our perspective is one with his we rule and reign with his life and his mandate and his authority we, if we're praying for God to give us authority, we're not understanding. We're, we're praying to give us a transfigured mind, be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that we would be the ecclesia of God. We would be the ruling council. And so our words are his words. His words are our words. We're one with him. He speaks through us. Isn't that amazing? This is our invitation. Our invitation is to change Kansas City because of our light, and but it has to happen with our perspective. Father, we ask you to to grant us perspective, Lord, that would show us the full revelation of the cross and uh, give us an understanding of the glory of your inheritance in us, Lord. The glory of your inheritance in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.